If you are vulnerable to psychic damage from roguish language, stay away from these gibbering mouths. But if you intend on listening to this podcast about enriching your fantastical group hallucinations, you're too far gone already. Your next game is going to be psychologically exhilarating, and here is why. In this episode, we find some answers to how can we make the character of a dragon deeply interesting? And what are some common traits to build a dragon around? And what additional dragon history can we use to spice up more in-game legends? Welcome to the Hook and Chance podcast. I'm Travis. And I'm his brother, Jordan. So, you thought we were done, but we're not, you fools. <laughs> we're still talking. I don't think they missed Dragons 2 in the title. <laughs> Some of us don't read every title. We just click on podcasts. <laughs> so, last episode, we were talking about how you can lead up to a dragon in your games. All of the tension that you can build from real animals. Where we left off was what the hell happens when your players start interacting with that dragon. <laughs> I am powerful and you're weak. That's pretty much a one note kind of Look character. at my gold. <laughs> Don't take it. Get out. On a long enough timeline, every dragon becomes smog, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. We've all got a little smog inside of us. I think part of my hesitation to involve dragons in games is that they're A, smarter than me, they're hard to understand their goals because they're so long lived. Yeah. And I'm, again, going back to the, they're smarter than me. Their goals are probably a lot more complex than I'm going to readily be able to keep up with. Our goals are drink a beer this weekend and make another episode of a podcast. <laughs> Two goals completed. We're winning. Yeah. And I mean, building on what we were talking about last time, role playing a malevolent beast and going past just those physical characteristics, trying to make that realistic, that's quite a complex creature to try and give some justice to. Yeah, especially when they're supposed to be bigger and grander than any of the other monsters that players can potentially face. Like, this is the end game. Yeah. Unless you're fighting dragon babies, in which case, you're a dick. <laughs> Go pick on someone your own size or 70 times larger than you. Yeah, you can do it. <laughs> well, all of this leads up to really wanting to convey that sense of grandness in a monster and a creature that players can fight and feel. Just get that sense of, oh, shit. And part of that comes from the way they behave and how they speak and the way they interact with the world and the players standing in front of them. And we also want to root them in relatable human behavior and make them seem like you're actually talking to a person because that's where those great role-playing moments come from. Yeah, and that's challenging to do because they're so mythic. So it's like, where do you land? Do you land somewhere in uh, relatable humans that you, know, you can kind of get a sense of camaraderie with, but that's going to underwhelm them? Or do you go like super grandiose and they are godlike and that's why players won't be able to understand their motivations and who really gives a shit anyways. Uh, dragon fell flat. You got to give them goals between going to the store for a carton of milk 
and wanting to rule the universe <laughs> somewhere in the challenging middle. <laughs> uh well that brings us around to that big dragon reveal and i don't know something just terrifies me about the dragon that i've been working an entire campaign to reveal just again falling flat like we talked about in the last episode that's not a feeling i want to feel yeah that's not an enjoyable time as a dm is just a a one-dimensional dragon it's just like i'm gonna kill you and i've got a bunch of gold and yeah like you said it's just it's really played out yeah i want that to be a powerful moment at the table for everybody so how we're going to accomplish that is we're going to get into the archives of the ancients and talk about and talk about some psychological traits that dragons typically have and how we can kind of dig into those a little bit let's head over there now this is the archives of the ancients where knowledge is unearthed to add wild insights to our world So in looking at mythology and all of the things that dragons have become in Dungeons and Dragons mythology specifically, some traits stood out to us and we wanted to choose a few that could describe all dragons and then be tinkered with a little bit to create really interesting different dragons. And the three common traits that all of these dragons exhibit are greedy, prideful, and narcissistic terrible dragons you might be thinking and you're probably right (laughs) (laughs) well the really interesting part like you were saying is that we can use these three traits and then if we just throw like one or two more in there we've got a pretty complex character yeah that can exhibit a lot of different behaviors that are really gonna mess with a party but still feel very much like the dragon that you're expecting yeah So let's start with trait number one. Let's go with greedy. Okay, so greed is an excessive desire for resources. But humans and other life forms usually desire resources that ensure their survival and procreation. That's why we become greedy. So do the mates of dragons look at Treasure Horde and go, damn, that's a provider? Well, maybe, I guess, but what are they providing with that treasure? (laughs) Dragons don't need that gold material wealth they usually hoard in order to actually survive. They just eat shit that they want to eat. They're kind of alpha. Like, they can eat whatever they want to eat. They can go really wherever they want to go. So they need for nothing. So why are they greedy? Well, in trying to answer that question, all I came up with was, we must have put the vice of greed onto dragons in our stories (laughs) because they're usually villains and greed fits in there real good fair enough if you're trying to impart some kind of moral or philosophical reason greed is a great thing to overcome as a character and it's a really easy villain trait because if a dragon shows up and takes your stuff there you go you got a story you've given the players every reason they need to to hunt that dragon down because they got your super sweet magical axe But that brings us back to why would they hoard gold and treasure? Maybe dragons should just hoard whatever they want to hoard or collect. Or are they actually hoarding it to take it away from humanoid societies? Interesting. So whatever the humanoid society values, that's what they're hoarding. So I think it's either 
personal for them or they're doing it actively and consciously. That's an interesting approach because that opens the doors for anything. Like we have this idea of a treasure hoard, like gold, piles and piles and mountains of gold. But what if it was something different? What if it was, I don't know, siege weapons? Yeah, I mean, that would make sense for a dragon because they're like, don't use this on me. You keep building them. I'm going to keep taking them. <laughs> <laughs> Look at my collection of siege weapons. Or maybe it's like a crop. Say they're against some kind of humanoid society again. And instead of just flying over and burning them, maybe they take all the crops so that they have something that the humanoids want. Hmm. Yeah, and they're forced to deal with them. Yeah. What if it's just physical land? Like, yeah, sure, a dragon has territory, but if all of these magnificent castles rival their own lair, screw you, man. Don't show me up. I'm taking your castle or I'm going to wreck it. Yeah, you can only build castles that are shorter than me. <laughs> <laughs> this is our castle height. Do not exceed. <laughs> Now I can just see a dragon kind of stooping down to get real low to the ground and being like, nah, you get one story and one story only. <laughs> Coming to some society that has one story castles. <laughs> Your party's just like, what's going on around here? <laughs> Why don't they believe in building upwards? Oh, trust me, you don't want to do that. Chuck rules these lands. And so going back to maybe they're just collecting it for them, you could have them collect all kinds of weird stuff. Yeah, I mean, dragons are so old. What if they were hoarding stuff that doesn't even matter anymore? Like, what if they were sending a party after an ancient treasure that was just a weird-looking stone? And it really provides no significance today, but when the dragon was a young wormling, maybe it meant something to them. Wow, that was real thunder. Uh, I don't think the dragon gods appreciate us talking smack about them. So yeah, if you imagine a dragon as a collector, what weird things do we collect today? Bobbleheads. We do like baseball cards. Stats. <laughs> yeah. Or cars. Action figures. What if the dragon collected adventurers? <laughs> Just like living adventurers? Yeah. Just had a stable of captured best of the land. Yeah, like, oh, wow, this is a very capable adventurer. Uh, it has the best stats. <laughs> um, I would like to keep this adventurer. How about you come live with me and I will keep you fat and happy and must continue to collect adventurers because they all keep getting portly and out of shape. <laughs> <laughs> the dragon asks you your stats when you come in. But it's yeah. got its own system for stats. <laughs> That's some serious meta stuff. Yeah. Well, I have a 13 strength and a... <laughs> or maybe they go around the lands collecting the oldest and most ancient heroes' tombs. Ooh, that's interesting. Gets them brought there. Yeah. Cool. So this came up when we were looking into this episode. And I listened to a podcast called Revisionist History. It's not about Dungeons and Dragons or fantasy or anything like that. But while I was thinking about an episode about dragon psychology, their newest episode popped up called Dragon Psychology 101. <laughs> so that's a sign. And I, Yeah, I had to listen to that. And there was one thought from it that I really liked. So Malcolm Gladwell was talking about hoarding behavior. And 
is there a certain song that always brings you back to like a particular moment of your life every time you hear it it's like an emotional reaction and then you remember something uh, i don't know my entire high school experience which was generally pretty good uh was punctuated by blink 182 so i can't not hear you just go back to high school every yeah, time every blink time. 182 is played yeah it's a really powerful feeling so he was saying that a lot of people with that hoarding behavior operate this way with every item interesting so they see something and they gotta have it even though it's kind of like we'd think of it as a piece of trash for two bucks at a yard sale but it brings them back emotionally to some moment in their lives a memory that they either enjoyed or or just were fond of yeah interesting one of the cliches of dragons is they don't want to part with anything and this powerfully explains why because all of it means something emotionally to them so that doesn't make a great case for gold. Right. It does make a great case for almost anything else. Treasures and magic items and all the fun stuff that your adventurers are going to want. And almost creates a backstory for a dragon that is a lot more compelling. And you can just riff on all these different items. I mean, that's some improv dungeon mastering right there <laughs> if the players are like what's this from oh that mace came from a hero that i was best friends with for 30 years when we desecrated the realms wow on the southern seas Jeez. another interesting point about greed is that it's good for the individual but bad for the society you know as we know today <laughs> well what's interesting about this is just what are the long-term implications of whatever the dragon is hoarding, whatever it's collecting, whatever it's greedy for? What is the opposite reaction to that action? How is it impacting the world at large? Maybe like collecting those tombs is creating an army of the undead because the the location is being moved. Uh, what opposite reaction is causing everyone else strife despite this dragon's actions? Because it's a very kind of selfish maneuver. Maybe the god of the dead is getting pissed off. Yeah. All right. So trait number two is pride. I conjure very different ideas when you say pride. And I just picture a parade. Yeah. What if you had a pride dragon in your world that sees all? It's every color that a dragon can be. Ah. Okay, wait. What if it's all of those different colored dragons. There's five of them, and they have the personalities of the Fab Five. <laughs> I don't know. Have we, have we been watching too much Queer Eye? Are we talking about a, a Fab Five Tiamat? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> Tiamat just got very different. All right, so that was a weird tangent. Let's go back to the trait of pride. How does pride manifest itself? There's a lot you can do with body language with this one, and there's things like the chin being held high, the open chest, the shoulders back. Confidence. Yeah. You're just talking about confidence. I suppose so. And But these postures came from showing a lack of concern for your own defense. So it ah. indicates a belief in your superiority. Interesting. Okay. Well, I feel like these different body languages can come from kind of a myriad of places. Like, is it confidence? Is it pride? It sounds like it's a lot more nuanced. You're right. They come from a lot of different sources, but there's two 
types of pride that they come from, and they differ a little bit from each type. So these ideas stem from work done by UBC psychology professor Jessica Tracy, and I found it pretty fascinating because you've got hubristic pride, which comes from status attained by less authentic means like power, domination, money, or nepotism. Okay. And then you've got authentic pride, which comes from hard work and achievement, actually doing <laughs> good things. Interesting. So it's basically just good pride versus bad pride. It's like <laughs> un undeserved pride yeah. versus deserved pride. Unearned. You think you've done something good, but you're really just taking credit for other people's work kind of thing. That's like the wise people know how little they know and unwise people think they know more than they do kind of thing. Absolutely. People with that hubristic pride, they refer to their being powerful and wise with no proof with things like, I do everything well. Or I'm super talented. Yeah. And naturally, that leads to arrogance and smugness, those mm. wonderful dragon traits. Those are quintessentially kind of dragon traits. And that's why you get that arrogance of just a, a slimy, like this was, again, smog all over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Smog had a ton of arrogance. And those kind of dragons really, they have no empathy. They're all kinds of messed up internally. That's interesting because this type of pride actually scientifically proven to reduce empathy. Really? Yeah. Wow. And then, so how does that differ, I guess, from the authentic pride? What kind of things come of that? I guess if you are very well achieved and you kind of are productive, you have, you have a sense of self-worth and you know your pride is well-earned. You know that it's been backed up. So why would a dragon have that sense of pride, say, in how fearsome they are or how big their teeth are? Because there must be some dragon out there that has bigger. Like, they know Tiamat exists. Yeah, that's fair. Would they be prideful about those kind of aspects uh, of see. their being? Because you can't. You have to be prideful of something else. Right. The selfish dragons are going to be prideful of those things and the authentic dragons are not they're going to be proud of what they've done with those things yeah they're going to be proud of what they've accomplished in the world and what they're working on whether it's a good or evil purpose they're going to have something to show for it i raised this entire kingdom to the ground yeah and look it is still desolate nothing grows there <laughs> that's fair the authentic pride can still be pride about shitty things. <laughs> <laughs> and even if it is shitty, uh, it's still linked to achievement, accomplishment, confidence, productivity, and self-worth. So those dragons are internally feeling a lot better about themselves, whereas the hubristic ones actually are pretty defensive and neurotic. Interesting. Because if they get challenged, they know they have nothing to back it up. They lash out really quickly they're quick to to try and discredit you. You know, who the hell are you to say? You've only been alive for 60 years. You haven't seen all of my accomplishments. Yeah. I Everyone feel... used to fear me. <laughs> yeah. Without people ever actually having feared them. Yeah. They've just been sitting in a cave for the last thousand years. And they're talking about their horde in the other room, but there's... <laughs> they haven't done the work to actually get a horde. I like that. 
all they can talk about is how big their teeth are. Yeah. <laughs> they say that they've eaten tons of heroes, but there's actually just a pile of rat bones in the corner. <laughs> <laughs> they're really they're really skinny and emaciated. <laughs> well, that kind of brings us nicely around to trait number three, narcissism. So what kinds of behavior does a narcissist show? Well, they do things to just impress others, not really to do the thing. It's less about the actual act and more about people's reaction to it. In a weird way, they're people pleasers. They're not doing it for the self-satisfaction. Yeah. They commonly live in a fantasy world. No shit. (laughs) (laughs) These dragons do. A fantasy world that supports their delusions of grandeur. So they might only surround themselves with things that kind of support their greatness, even though maybe that's not true. They're not trying to surround themselves with things that will actually make them better in the long run or anything like that. It's just like, build statues in my honor. Well, that kind of goes back to the gold. Is like, they don't have any reason to have it, but they want it because everyone else thinks it's pretty impressive. It supports. It supports their greatness. Why would they have so much gold if they weren't great? Okay, yeah, that makes sense. They would have a sense of entitlement. So this whole place, this belongs to me. I didn't earn it, but it's mine. When they go to the grocery store, they leave the shopping carts right out in the open. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. They would exploit others, and this is really common to dragons. They would go about and and just manipulate adventurers into doing certain things for them. Even if you have a dragon that isn't overtly aggressive and wanting to murder the party just for the sake of doing it, they may have a goal for them to achieve that puts their lives at risk. Like, who gives a shit? These are very short-lived, tiny creatures. Why would I care about them? They're there for my consumption, amusement, and use. And they're going to tell the party whatever they need to hear. Yeah. An approach. Which, if the party keeps asking questions, might, you know, unravel that story a little bit. They need uh, constant praise and admiration. And this goes along with our concepts of what dragons are as well, in that, you know, oh, great and wonderful smog, I beseech you. Like, they need that kind of, you know, treat me with the respect that I also have not earned. I would love, like, a dragon's main chamber to just have a few rows of kobolds built into it in the top all they're there to do is compliment the dragon (laughs) it's just the whole time you're interacting with the dragon they're just slewing compliments yeah like the dragon is just sitting there doing nothing on its pile of gold and then it like cuts a loud fart and a whole chorus of colbert's like yay (laughs) smells so good (laughs) applauding gross one of the most interesting aspects of narcissism that i wasn't familiar with but made a lot of sense in the research for this was communal narcissism. This was a new one for me. And that kind of, it kind of resonates with stuff that I've seen in the world lately, but doing good in the world, but doing it loudly, like making sure that all of your greatness is seen. Oh yeah. Rather than just doing good or bad for the sake of doing it, you're trying to make sure that everybody hears about it. Documented in the public eye. Yeah. So... Hmm. Again, dragons are constantly burning fields down very publicly and trying to make sure that everyone around them 
sees how big and scary and powerful they are. They're ruling through fear, and they're trying to demonstrate that all the time. Or if you've got a dragon that's trying to rule from a place of admiration and respect, they're doing whatever they want, but every once in a while, they just take out a threat to a city. Yeah. And then put that accomplishment outside the city, and they make sure everybody talks about it. Yeah. I think that can be used in a lot of powerful ways. That's good. There's a lot more to narcissism, and it's a very complex behavior. Definitely worth some more looking into. But something really interesting came up as a result of doing some of this research and people debating about character alignments in D&D. And one of those stats was statistically men are 80% more likely to exhibit narcissism. Granted, this is very broad, but it's largely because of socialization, because certain behaviors are not as encouraged in men as they are in women. We have never adhered to an alignment, really. I think you and I are kind of agreed on that, that we don't really give a shit about the, the character alignment chart. Yeah, it's it's kind of an okay jumping off point, but I've never worried about sticking to it. And I've found that it stifles character dynamism in a game. Yeah. Is that once I've decided that I'm chaotic neutral, then I always will behave that way as a as a character because well it's on the it's on the alignment chart. And interesting characters are created in stories when they change. And if you're sticking to alignment, they're not changing. And what's really neat about this whole discussion is how are dragons socialized? Does this mean that all dragons are narcissists? And does it mean that they are all prideful and greedy? Not necessarily. But how are dragons socialized to exhibit those behaviors and those traits within their society? When you're such a long-lived creature, you're going to be a little bit less invested in the lives of humanoids. It's going to be easier to just care more about yourself. You might be socialized to think that those creatures are all food and that they should kowtow to your needs and whims because you're clearly a superior creature. Based on the upbringing that a dragon has had in any kind of dragon society, whether it just be like one parent or one other dragon that was their mentor for a time. Or even the parental figure that you had when you were a young wormling. Yeah. What was their outlook? So you could totally have a Superman-style dragon raised by two simple farmers. (laughs) (laughs) Has learned to do good for the world. Nice. (laughs) Yes, these are not prescriptive of dragons by any means. However, if you want to build a more interesting dragon, you can actually use the character planner on our website under the resources section. These are the three traits that you can add to your dragon, and then you can throw two more in there to make them unique. Yeah, because again, these three traits make a dragon feel like a dragon and the extra two will then make them feel like a unique character. Okay, so with all of that knowledge, can we make some dragons that actually go into games without all this theory? (laughs) Well, I think we better put up or shut up. Well, let's start with the easy one because I feel like if we went the two opposite sides of the spectrum, let's try to create a bad dragon, a generally like evil malicious dragon but i think the real challenge is to somehow work these traits into a seemingly or generally good dragon yeah all right so yeah let's start with a bad so we've got greed so they're using anybody they want to use 
which is typically going to be kobolds. What if they also had humanoids kind of follow them wherever they went? Like, what if they collected people? Like, I want a cult of influence. I want to have a ton of folks just follow me. And typically, you're right, we're always going to use kobolds, right? But what if it was more than that? Like, what if the dragon kind of behaved like a typical dragon and it fought everything around it and like hit up towns and burned them all down? But then what if it gave even humans and elves and dwarves a chance to say, you're going to follow me and I'm going to collect people that worship me? You know, that, that feeds into that narcissism. And I'll keep you alive, but you can't leave. Yeah. Well, a bad dragon would definitely consider themselves a force of nature based on their pride. Yeah, definitely like nothing can stop them. There's no other creature that you can mention or think of in the world that uh, they're actually in any way intimidated by or afraid of. Well, and I think we touched on this in the last episode as well, is keeping a treasure hoard simply so that it can eat people that are coming for it. Like putting it out there and just being really brazen about it. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. I'm going to eat you and I'm going to be five steps ahead. I could see them behaving in a way like a shitty kid toying with an anthill just to watch them rebuild. Like that's that destructive nature with a purpose. They just enjoy watching misery. So the burning down and the rebuilding, like it's always, it's never about killing. It's about just wrecking shit to see the outcome. And then when people try to leave that town or society, they hem them in at the outskirts. Oh, that's good. Well, because, I mean, logically, everyone would just leave, right? Well, I don't know. <laughs> We're pretty tenacious folks. <laughs> yeah, but you rebuild your town 16 times because <laughs> of a dragon. Eventually, you're going to get the hint. Well, because they're so long lived, this is perfect because they have nothing but time to watch generations after generations be terrified of a dragon and just constantly try to move towns or go to a different place. The dragon's reach is huge. They would just follow and torment just for the sake of doing it. Yeah. What about a dragon that is just absolutely overt about their narcissism? It's like, praise me. I know I need it. I don't give a shit. Praise me. Brings up each of its qualities. Yeah. And just rubs them in people's faces. Or just like looks at its own wing. Tell me what you think of my wings. <laughs> that's, oh, that's, that's gross and cruel. <laughs> but it wouldn't care. Like it knows that they're exploiting people. It knows all of this behavior is evil and it just revels in it. Yeah. Definitely, like, whether it be its own followers or your followers, it would kill without provocation. Yeah, like, just to read people's feelings and, and reactions in the room. Just to, just to scare the living shit out of people, basically. Yeah. Because it enjoys that fear. And if we're talking about uh, some of that greed stuff, if you came in with anything, anything interesting at all, that dragon's just going to want it. Yeah. Just give that to me if you want to keep talking. Oh, now <laughs> it's a bully. Yeah, I, I think they would also always like if you slipped up once giving them the honorific that they've demanded that you do, you must call me the so and so the powerful. And if you ever left the powerful off, there would be pain <laughs> like that's a bad thing. 
I also like the idea of them just pointing out constantly any weaknesses and not even like real weaknesses, but whatever you might do as a character, it just points out how weak it was. <laughs> how sad and pathetic. Yeah. I don't think it's hard to do a bad dragon. No. Could we apply all of these things to a good dragon? I think there's a lot of ways to do it. And, it, and starting here creates really interesting good dragons because they're not just pure good. Well, if you consider our three traits, so in our trait and character builder, we have generally a spread of two good traits, one neutral trait, and two negative traits for a total of five. Well, we have here pride, as we previously discussed, can kind of sit on the fence. It's definitely a neutral trait. You could have good pride or you could have bad pride. Narcissism and greed are definitely squarely in the negative category. So if you were building a good dragon, all you would have to do is add two good traits and you could definitely lean that dragon towards a really good dragon. Yeah. But it still suffers from a little bit of narcissism and a little bit of greed. And I think they could even think of these traits as being good for themselves. So, I mean, if a dragon is taking all of these resources from the land, maybe they're telling themselves that they're doing it to to not be targeted by powerful creatures uh, because that's just shitty on that powerful creature's side to target dragons. Maybe it's trying to create a certain quality of world for it to fly in. Ah, uh, yeah. Like it wants a harmonious, beautiful place. It wants everything kind of light and happy. Yeah. And therefore it's doing all of these things just to, to maintain that status. And maybe it's kind of darkly telling itself that it's hoarding all of the golden treasure because it's seen people do bad things with golden treasure. Mm. Yeah, that's a good point. What about having an overabundance? Like we learned that narcissism leads to a lack of empathy. What if it has a lot of empathy, but it has a lot of empathy for the weaker creatures around it? Like it wants to make those lives full and rich and enjoyable because they're so painfully short and they're so <laughs> fleshy and weak. Yeah. And I should probably help them. A dragon could have good goals and be helping the characters, but still have a little too much of that narcissism and pride and switch moods dramatically, if not thanked or praised immediately. Yeah. Like it's a little bit volatile just because because you should recognize that it is a great creature. And if you don't, are you blind? <laughs> I'm doing great things here. Yeah. It's like that, that, hey, I'm working with impoverished families. Look at me. I'm going to post this on, on Instagram. It's like, you do see how great I am, right? Yeah. I'm, I'm pretty, pretty great. Where's my comments? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I could even see that dragon inviting all of the people in the neighboring society like all the towns kind of like collecting people. Like that's what they're greedy for. They're greedy for that praise and adoration that if I supply a veritable garden of Eden, you can come live with me. And all the while I'm going to be fed with praise and thank you for pro providing all the food and all the resources that I could possibly want. And it starts to, like, it could even take a little bit of a dark, culty kind of bend in that everybody's just leaving their towns to go live in this beautiful place. But, like, 
I don't know, there's there's a lot of unanswered questions there. At what cost? And what else is happening behind the scenes? And yes, everyone is living a fantastic life, and this dragon is very good. That could make it pretty suspicious to the party, but actually having a legitimately good dragon behind it, I think would be the good twist in that situation. Yeah, it's hard for parties to figure out moral grace. Yeah, yeah. And that dragon is doing it for good reasons, but causing greater effects in the world. I mean, they could even just demand the gold because they're going to take that to neighboring kingdoms and barter for the goods and resources peacefully without war that they need. But they still require you, if you're coming into this community, that you surrender everything that you have. Mm. Oh, that could even lead to the original story hook that, you know, the, the story hook of I'm a king and my daughter has gone away. I think she's been kidnapped. She's been lured away by a very bad person, but she also took like half of the, the coffers of the kingdom and left to go and live with this good dragon. And when the party gets there, what do you do? Do you <laughs> shut down this veritable, wonderful place? The kingdom, does it really need all that gold? Yeah. Like, I love those kind of moral gray areas where I don't know how to solve this, but the players themselves, they'll figure it out. And it'll lead to a very different evolving game world. A good dragon could be really proud that they're collecting all the dangerous weapons in the world. They're removing these threats that have all in their collection as they're displayed on the wall. They're all something that's been used to kill people. And maybe this dragon is actually against killing. And so it's taking all of this out of the world. Well, that's what brought the characters there in the first place. They were seeking a powerful weapon. Yeah. They were seeking a magic sword and the dragon has it but it has it for very different purposes. And it's going to, of course, send you on a big-ass quest if you actually want part of their collection. And they probably won't give it to you anyway, because what are you going to do with it? <laughs> Kill somebody? <laughs> yeah, I'm going to give you this sword, but only if you never use it. <laughs> well, shit. You got to convince them you're a collector. Yeah. I like even the idea, going back to this whole like Garden of Eden, what if this dragon had taught other predatory creatures like a manticore or a griffin to just not be predatory. Like everything around it has everything it needs. And it's so proud that it got predatory animals to not be that. That's interesting. So they've actually got like their own community of typically monstrous creatures that are all out doing good. Yeah. The typical kobolds that worship dragons yeah. might be out there preaching the good word yeah, and yeah, helping yeah. people. Like, what if a group of kobolds came into town and started doing everybody's chores? You're just like, <laughs> what like, actually is happening right now? Little Disney elves yeah. kind of thing. Just like... <laughs> well, I really like the idea of a party coming into a dragon's kingdom and there's legends of monsters but they're all good legends. Yeah, I think that could be a ton of fun. Anyway, I don't know. That seems like plenty of ideas. I'm sure we'll come back to this at some point. Heck yeah. But for now, let's move on to Grandma Bee's schoolhouse and talk about some more of the original myths of dragons. Folks come here to Grandma Bee's schoolhouse to gain knowledge and apply the history of their realm. Okay, so I kept finding stories about dragons through all of these different 
mythologies. And they all had stuff in common, and I kept trying to find that commonality, and I went all the way until I got to the thunder versus the serpent myth. Well, and you were saying in the last episode that every culture has a dragon in yeah. it somewhere. Yeah, I was thinking about starting a podcast that's just about dragon stories, because <laughs> there's far too many for one mind to comprehend. So going back to that thunder versus serpent myth, it goes all the way back to Proto-Indo-European mythology, which I'm no expert, but is basically before everything in that that major part of the world split up into its own cultures. Interesting. Okay. So like way, way back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the players in this myth are the Thunderer, which represented keeping cosmic order in the universe. Cool. I just like the name. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how official these terms are, but it simplifies it. And the Thunderer kept getting more and more human throughout the evolutions of these myths. Okay. And then you had the Serpent, which represented chaos and kept getting more monstrous. And for some reason, it often stole all the water in these myths, which is pretty good for life <laughs> in general. Well, in that kind of proto you know, this is society before society, of the things that you needed, water would be one. I would be pretty concerned if a serpent stole all my water. Yeah, it kind of represents life. Yeah. And it's interesting because deep water also represents chaos and the underworld and the unknown. Interesting. So the beats of the typical story are the snake wins at first, and then the Thunderer comes back with some outside help and kicks that snake's ass. Pretty simple story. I dig it so far. And again, there's so many. In Hittite mythology, the storm god Tarhunt defeats the giant serpent Ilyanka. In Vedic mythology, the god Indra defeats the multi-headed serpent Vritra, associated with drought. In Greek mythology, Zeus slays the hundred-headed Typhon. In Germanic mythology, Sigurd slays the dragon Fafnir. In Persian mythology, Feraden slays the evil serpent Zahak. The Slavic god of storms, Perun, slays the dragon uh, god Veles. Okay, okay. <laughs> Jesus, that is a lot. I get it. I get okay, it. Okay, okay. But I got to tell you just... No, no, I no got more. It. One more. <laughs> Fine. Tiamat. All right, I'm glad you had one more. Tell me, <laughs> tell me more about Tiamat. Yeah, the biggest and baddest D&D dragon is on this list. It is a real myth from this kind of origin. So Tiamat in particular is Babylonian, and she was the primordial goddess of the sea, represented as a sea serpent or a dragon. Well, and Babylonian, like that goes back before most of the other origin stories that you were even talking about. So this is the original. This is a very ancient one. It's farther back than I can personally remember. <laughs> one should hope so. <laughs> so she was associated with the chaos of the universe, just like that serpent trope. And she gets together with Abzu, the god of fresh water. She's the goddess of seawater. He's the goddess of fresh water. Intermingle a little bit. Create the younger gods and the world. Wow. Because they were just water, you know? Of course. Everything was water before the world existed. Yeah. That's just science. <laughs> so they have some kids and the kids get pissed off and they want Abzu's throne because I guess when all you've got in the world is 
yourselves, you want to do something, so why not try and take over the one thing there is, a throne? (laughs) (laughs) I guess. We were all existing in nothingness, and then there was water, and then there was a chair. I want that chair. Yeah. So they, they kill him. They kill Abzu. Tiamat gets ever so pissed, and... They killed her partner, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She gives birth to a whole pantheon of monsters to destroy the usurpers. I absolutely love this system of problem solving because Tiamat has kids who kill her partner. So her her response is to have more kids <laughs> to kill those kids. Hopefully this doesn't go south. <laughs> when there's still only two of us and I need an army, I might as well make my own army. I didn't want to get into her partner for these kids. Oh, boy. That's a a Google on your own time kind of thing? Yeah. All right. But her second batch of kids were the venomous snake, the great dragons who she filled with poison instead of blood. Good God. The exalted serpent, the furious snake, the hairy one, (laughs) the big weather beast. I love some big weather. (laughs) The mad lion, the scorpion man, the violent storms, the fish man, and the bull man. Are these just names because we don't know what the Babylonians called these? Yeah, basically. These are the English <laughs> translations of the badass words that the Babylonians the used. The fish man and the bull man. <laughs> nice. But like, I think a lot of the demons from D&D were also inspired by this. Yeah, I can see a lot of parallels. So Tiamat, she's fighting. All her kids are fighting. All her kids. And she comes to clash with Marduk who's one of the gods that's been created over, you know, I don't know, a few generations of gods, who presided over justice, compassion, healing, regeneration, magic, and fairness, and sometimes referenced as a storm god. And you already know the ending because I told you the general layout of these stories. (laughs) (laughs) She comes back and she kicks some ass. She's not the hero. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Damn it. He's the god of storms. That's right. She's the serpent. Okay, so she gets her ass kicked. Yeah, and uh, to do so, he brings arrows of the wind, a net, a club, and an invincible spear. Well, it honestly, it kind of serves her right, because she's the one that instituted a child fight. <laughs> yeah, who else are you going to fight? How my is... children war together. <laughs> she is the goddess of chaos, so it only makes sense. <laughs> they have a big fight, and in an epic about this fight, it said... And the Lord stood upon Tiamat's hinder parts. And with his merciless club, he smashed her skull. Damn. He cut through the channels of her blood, and he made the north wind bear it away into secret places. He made from her ribs the vault of heaven and earth. Her weeping eyes became the sources of the Tigris and the Euphrates. Her tail became the Milky Way. That's some pretty cool shit right there, but do do remind me how her weeping eyes became rivers, but then her tail landed way the fuck out in the middle of nowhere. Because he did a little golf swing <laughs> with his club. That is dark. Okay. <laughs> Four. Well, do you have any more for me on this? Uh, that's about it. That's the epic of Tiamat. I thought everyone should know that it's not just a D&D dragon. It's a Babylonian myth. That's very cool. Well... Before we wrap this up, I think we have one more great review. Keep them coming. They're so good. Uh, This one is from Mentor of the Meek on Apple Podcasts, and they say, a fresh new D&D-related podcast. 
I like the specification of being related. <laughs> D&D adjacent. They don't really focus on the rules. Yeah, but thanks. And it's five stars. And it goes, hosted by two brothers, question mark, Travis and Jordan. That's me! This D&D related podcast has a lighthearted and cheerful tone. Sometimes. That was me. That was editor's note. The natural rapport between the hosts showcases their unique and interesting take on D&D advice for both DMs and players alike. Did you just... You can't edit our reviews. <laughs> Pretty sure that goes against all <laughs> morality. Well, I like that it wasn't entirely clear that we were brothers, but I think we've established that this, <laughs> this dynamism only comes from a, a lifetime of just having to exist in the same vicinity <laughs> as one another. It's been pretty tight quarters sometimes. <laughs> but thank you very much for that wonderful review. And thanks to Tabletop Audio for the sound effects that you hear in this episode. You can follow us at Hook and Chance on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or Reddit. And definitely come join our Discord because we have a ton of fun there. And smart people live there. Thanks, Thanks for, for listening, listening and, and I'm stealing Travis's games. cash. Nope. For my horde. Keep your fucking hands off my money. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>